Welcome to London Welsh Rugby Club podcast. This is episode 39. We had a bit of drama recording this week's episode of the pod, which has meant it has been recorded across three days last weekend, but it does not diminish from the quality of the content. Friday night was a busy night in the Chavis household with an interruption from the police who knocked on the door and were more interested in discussing the forthcoming Six Nations with our guest than doing what they were meant to do. With a few interruptions for poor Wi-Fi and the Chavis youngest wanting to be involved in the podcast, it involves this episode involves a little bit of editing to get to the final version, but it's 100% worth it. Colin would not have had the career he had if he wasn't finding his way to London Welsh to play when he was a student in London. He spent four seasons with us playing in most of the squads from the Ockies to the first. He speaks quite candidly about how well looked after he was and the freedom he's allowed to play. We also discussed the, the success he had with Wales and the Lions. Our guest this week is Colin Chavis. Enjoy. This podcast is sponsored by London Welsh Developments. London Welsh Developments offer the entire range of services for all your home needs, from plumbing, electrical, joinery and building and maintenance. Their many years of experience building all forms of extensions and conversions, the odd new build and some bespoke garden rooms and home offices. You will clearly see the attention to detail and understanding of your home that is difficult to match. They really do care and want the best for your home with no stone left unturned. For more information, contact London Wells Developments on 0208 335 9123 or email on info at lwdltd.co.uk London Welsh Developments Welcome to the pod, former London Welsh and Wales back row forward, Colin Charvis. How are you, Colin? I'm good, I'm good, thank you, G. And you? Yes, all good, thank you very much. It's great to have you on the podcast. So how are you, the family, surviving this latest lockdown? Um, well, it is what it is, I think, you know, the... Um, there's only so many coats of paint you can put on the spare room. Um, and so long as the weather's not too bad, at least you can get outside and either get down the beach or walk over the fields and get some fresh air. But uh, I, th- I think it's, it's tough for everyone. Uh, and we all, you know, we're all just looking for, forward to something. And, you know, the only thing we've got on the horizon at the moment is the Six Nations starting um, in a week's time. So um, fingers crossed we can have some, uh, some more entertaining rugby. Yes, looking forward to that. But you've got your own flooring company. How, how have you had to adapt um, due to COVID? Has, has that been challenging for your business? Um, well, we, we had to change significantly. Um, you know, for, for 10 months, we haven't done um, any domestic floors, um, which has been a bit of a challenge. But, um, you know, you, you've just got to uh, you know, change, change as, as is necessary. And um, we've focused more on um, our commercial work. Um, and built some strengths, some links there with the commercial industry. So, um, fingers crossed, we can we can keep riding with that. And um, you know, who knows? Hopefully, if um, lockdowns ease and we end up coming back to any form of normality, um, we've just got to you know hold our metal and, and wait for that. And do you are you involved in any sort of uh, local rugby at all at the moment uh, with any of your? children you know it's because obviously community rugby is cancelled in in wales as well so has that sort of been affected in terms of any of your involvements 
Well, I, th- I think um, everybody's kids are going a bit stir crazy, um, whichever sport they're involved in. Um, but it, you know, it's, it's fairly painful when you see uh, the sport that you love, um, you know, pretty much falling apart at the seams. Um, I'm on the board of Swansea Rugby Club, um, you know, and we only have uh, the male seniors and the female seniors. Um, so just, just we've had no rugby for, for, for quite some time now, which has been uh, a challenge for the club. Um, my role on the Council of the Welsh Rugby Union uh, has also been a bit odd because um, everybody is just desperate for a pathway back to play rugby. And, um, you know, it's, it's not OK for the professionals that, that, you know, they're having a challenging time um, because of the restrictions and, they, and they, they've had to change their methods. Um, but, you know, there's, there's kids, there's adults, there's women, there's disability rugby, there's all sorts of people that just want, we're all very gregarious. We just want to get back onto a pitch, back onto a training paddock uh, and just enjoy the sport that has, has, you know, enriched all of our lives. And so it's, it's, it's frustrating. No, I, I agree with you. Fingers crossed we get a great Six Nations and fingers crossed we get a full season starting like August, September time next, next season because that'll be, I think we'll see a lot of people coming back to rugby because you know, this time has meant we've been able to reflect a lot on what we like, what we don't like and we've all enjoyed being part of the community rugby scene and I think, yeah, um, as I say, fingers crossed we're all back to that in, um, in September. But look, let's talk about your rugby journey because, you know, um, Gosh, look into your background, Colin. You've achieved so much in your rugby career. It's unbelievable. But you went to school in the Midlands, right? So what, what sport did you play at school and where exactly did you grow up in the Midlands? Obviously, um, I grew up in a place, uh, Aldridge, is a village just outside um, Warsaw. Um, and you know, the West, we all know the West Midlands is a soccer place. Um, so it was football for me. Um, until I was 11 years old, then I, I went to uh, a lovely grammar school and um, they don't play football there. So at 11, I picked up my first rugby ball, um, as they say, like a fish to water, um, thoroughly enjoyed it and couldn't believe how much fun we could, you know, I, we could have playing sport. And uh, I never looked back, really. Uh, I was very fortunate um, with a good group of mates that played for the school and played for the local club. Um, so we all stuck together until we were 18, which was, was an amazing time, um, playing in the junior section all the way through to the youth section. Um, then we all went our separate ways uh, with universities and work and so on. Um, but no, gr- growing up in the Midlands, yes, it is, it is a very soccer orientated um, place to live. Um, but I was very, very fortunate um, to stumble across rugby. What was the name of that club you played for? And then did you then have any sort of... Um age grade representation at a county level or even maybe like England schoolboys or, or uh, at that time? Um, I played I played um, 16s and 18s um, for the county uh, and for uh, the Midlands division um, um, but you know I, again you know a lot of the other lads um, they've been throwing a rugby ball around since they were five six years old um, so although I was I was enjoying it and I was making progress with rugby I, I still had a you know, considerable way to catch up with playing the game because um, I probably I was a bit more of a, you know, bigger than some of the other kids and that's what helped me um, back then. Um, but the, the school was fantastic. I had a great time there. Um, rugby was a very important part, as, as was all sports um, within the school. Um, and it just set me up with a good foundation. And, uh, you know, I learned a lot about teamwork. Um, I learned a lot about camaraderie, uh, about discipline. And it set me up, I think, rugby clubs and schools that play a lot of rugby, you gain quite a lot of important values um, that you can carry on throughout um, the rest of your, your sporting career and your working career. 
So um, I was just very lucky in that respect. No, I agree with that. So you, so you finished school and you come to London to study. So at which point did um, London Welsh become a consideration for you then? Um, well, it was a, it was a, well, it's a bit anecdotal, really, that um, I, I, I play, I've just been away um, on my regular commissions board with the army. And um, so I ended up playing for um, University Westminster's seconds team. Uh, and they put me in the second row for the second half of a game. And um, it was just weird, like scoring a few tries. And Glenn Richards, who was a London Welshman um, back in the day, was the coach of Westminster. And um, he had a little word, word in my ear about, have I thought about joining a club and thinks that um, I could make a really good rugby player. So at, at 18, you know, I was more focused on my studies uh, and I was focused on, um, you know, my commission within the army. But, um, you know, all of that went out the window once I got introduced to London Welsh. Um, I had a fantastic time there. So uh, uh, Glenn is the guy who, let's say, discovered me and, uh, and we never looked back. It's amazing those sort of sliding door moments in people's lives, really, isn't it? When people, you know, there was a conversation, you know, a coach at university. So did you play a lot all the way through university or did you stop playing when you started turning out for London Welsh? Well, at, at one point, you know, I was playing on a Wednesday um, for the uni, on a Saturday for London Welsh and on a Sunday for the county under 21 team. So, uh, you know, I, I had an appetite to play and I was more than happy to do that. Now it's great. So you, you would have, you, obviously, you, at that eight stage, it was amateur rugby. So you wouldn't have signed for the club. You just would have turned up to training on a Tuesday and Thursday, I suppose, because um, uh, we were playing like level five rugby. I think I think it was like um, Lon London South or some, something like that. I think so. And was it right? John Dawes was a coach at the time. Yeah, John, John Dawes uh, was the coach. Uh, Bill Colcroft um, when I first started. But the 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 the, the funny one was when. Um, we had a pre-season um, and, and I well, basically me and my mate had cycled to France and cycled down to the Pyrenees and, um, and Dav, was the, Dav was, the, was the team manager at the time and Dav had, had phoned my granddad um, basically trying to find out where I was and why wasn't I attending pre-season but uh, you know I, I was just a naive kid you know I was 19 years old I was off enjoying myself you made your debut sort of like two thirds away through the season. Do you remember who your debut was against? Uh, I'll, say, I'll say it was April 92. You made a debut at ODP. Aged... Against Coventry? Um, I've got Glamorgan Wanderers down here. That's a debut at ODP. So um, that's, that's um, with it, might, it may well have been. I, rem I remember um, maybe Coventry could have been my second game because it was an away trip. Um, <sighs> and I remember just thinking, oh, I'm, I'm quite close to home here. I wonder if, if, if I could just nip off. Um, but <laughs> That, that first season, I mean, I, I turned out for um, the, uh, the Ockies, the seconds, the thirds, the under-21s. It's basically anyone who'd let me have a game. Um, and, and, then, and then eventually they said, you know, give him a run out in the first. There are a lot of people walking around West London saying, I've played the Colin Chavez, haven't they? Yeah, it's, I mean, it was, a lot of them are probably saying, I remember, I remember handing him off and, and scoring under the sticks. So... Um, <laughs> That's probably what most stories revolve around. So, so, so your first full season, right? I think, I think back in those days, there's only 12 league games in a typical season, but London Welsh would play between 35 and 38 games as a, as a first team, right? Um, and you made 25 appearances for the club, right? Do you know how many tries you scored that first season, that first full season? Um, 
I remember there was one season when I scored about, I reckon the first season must have been about 15, maybe a few more. It was, it was, it was, yeah, it was 10 actually, but they got a hat trick against Cambridge University. Um, but look, you, you scored loads of tries to the club. We'll come on to the second and third season. But I just want to know what it's like because not many people, um, I haven't spoken to anyone who's been coached by the great sort of John Dawes yet. And you say Bill Calcraft as head coach as well. What was training like on those Tuesdays and Thursdays with those two? Um, well, straight for me, training was because it, it was such a novelty. You know, I was fresh out of school, just enjoying myself. Um, you know, the whole idea of turning up in the evenings and it wasn't a PE lesson. Um, it, I, just, I just really enjoyed it, you know. And when you've got, um, you know, former internationals and Lions showing you the tricks of the trade, um, for me, it was just I'd absorb as much as I possibly could. No, that's great. And I, I imagine, like, as an 18, 19-year-old as well, the, the social side of, of rugby was quite important for you as well? Well, I think one of the problems there was I couldn't, I couldn't afford to go into town with most of the boys. You know, the, the, a lot of those lads earned way more than I did as a, as a lowly student. Um, but, it, you know, I, the values of the club were amazing. You know, lads would take me under their wing and if they needed to buy me the odd pint now, now and then they would. Um, but no, there were a great bunch of lads that, that really looked after me. I was just some naive kid who was, who was fast in his number seven jersey. So it was great you had so many people looking after you after you played your first season and, you know, Colin, the students had you know, drinks in the bar after each game, that sort of thing. But obviously in your second season, you played um, a, a lot of rugby, about 25 games for clubs. You know, in that sort of second season, what, what, what do you remember, Colin? Uh, well, obviously I was, I was still a student and uh, there was myself, there was myself uh, and a guy named uh, Peter Walters and... Um, we were just the two youngsters in and around the team and around the squad. And you kind of, although I was, I was, I was enjoying my rugby, I was very naive to the seriousness of the rugby, you know, that you're playing in an adult league um, that means a lot to supporters and means a lot to the club. Um, so for me, I was just really enjoying playing rugby, being in the clubhouse, being part of London Welsh. So I, I think in a way I was, I was quite free just to express myself and, and have a great time and make new friends and, and no worries and just get on with loving my rugby. I was very, very fortunate that I didn't feel any pressure or any worry or any of the things normally associated with, you know, playing in a league. But isn't that how it should be when you're 19 and 20? You know, you, you know, you know, it's a step up to adult rugby, but you're there to have fun, enjoy yourself. And, you know, and you weren't thinking of being a Wales international or Latin player in, at that time. You just wanted to, to turn up because you enjoyed rugby and you liked the environment. Yeah, yeah. And like, um, I can imagine like if, you, if you're in your 20s or your 30s, you know, those Tuesday and Thursday nights, Tuesdays and Thursday evenings, you've been doing that for 10 years. Whereas for me, this was a, it was a huge novelty, you know, and things like being given, everyone's got matching tracksuits and, you know, being given a blazer and a tie. And I know we, you know, when you're in school rugby, you wear a blazer during your tie, but this, it was real weird that I was thoroughly enjoying myself. Um, free stash, everyone loves that. And I, and I learned, even by the time I was on the Lions, you'll still take a free pair of socks over anything. <laughs> and and it, it was just, it was just... Like I understand now with um, if I compare myself to um, some of the rugby players now playing for Wales, you know, they've, they've been through academies. Um, 
they've been Osprey Juniors, they've been you know Cardiff Blues, and and they they they've always had an element of seriousness to the rugby that they're doing, and you know within within the union they'll always talk about the pathway, and kids you know kids want to get their kids on a pathway, um, whereas for me it was just mincing around and it was all a big novelty that you know turning up in the evenings to go training and then and then brilliantly as a student you get a free meal afterwards it was incredible no i think it, it seems such a, so much more of a job now and a, a pathway to a job whereas rugby you know in, in your day it does seem like more fun and obviously the later on probably came serious and aspirations again cap for wales but look you know at 18 and 19 you know in those days you were playing for the fun. And look, you had a change of coaching uh, in the second in your second season because uh, you had so Bruce Bradley and Nigel Reese took over from, from John Dawes. I'm not sure of the background to that, but how, how did that change training for you? Really, the, the change of coaches. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure um, some of the more senior players could probably react even better than I could about the change of coaching. Um, so, you know, whether it was. Um, when it changed to Bruce Bradley, um, I mean, uh, I think it was Mike Gosling was the next season. Um, but for me, it was just all new. So I'm just soaking up as much information as I can and, and just enjoying the novelty of it. You know, any, anybody could have taken over as coaches. They still know a lot more about rugby than I did at the time. So for me, anything they said to me was just more knowledge, more information. But I think what was quite lucky for me was that rather than... Yes, you're talking about the changing coaches, uh, Colin, and uh, being a youngster, you maybe didn't notice that as much as other people, but some of the players you had around the squad, obviously you had like someone like Michael Dawes there. You know, His son is now playing for London Welsh, Rodri Dawes, right? So the Dawes dynasty carries on at London Welsh. But who were the other sort of characters as the players you yeah. had around the squad? Because you've had, that, what about I suppose, the, you know, the captains... Were like Andy Newcomb and Andy Tucker, were they at your time? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, what was what was very fortunate for me that people like An Andy Tucker obviously played back row. Uh, no, sorry, Andy Newcomb played back row. Uh, Andy Tucker was a great, strong character um, from hooker. Um, so um, we had a guy named Graham, Graham Peacock who played back row stroke second row. There were quite a few players that I could just almost like casually steal experience from them as we were going. You know, there was a, I think his name was Lee Thomas, um, a South African back rower as well. He was a very, very good player. Um, so although the club coaching system, because we were only training two nights a week, we were just focused on the team and the team getting better. And I tried to pick off those individuals to make myself better as an individual. And I think that's that's what freed me up to enjoy um, enjoy my rugby a lot more. Whereas once you once I moved to a full time professional, there's a lot of focus on the individual development. Um, so you're you're pretty much scrutinised, um, and you know it's it's down to the individual whether they enjoy that or not. But for me, you know, leaving London Welsh when I was 22, I'd had four years of just freedom. Four years to play, tackle, not tackle, miss tackles, who cares, hit rooks. You know, I, I'd had four years of just 
developing my own individual skills as I saw I needed to um, and my role within the team to suit everybody within the team. So I had so little pressure put on me, but just to enjoy myself. And then as a consequence of those four years, I'm, I'm sorry to say this, and it's a little bit big headed, but London Welsh had created me into a try scoring machine. <laughs> and then, so I think is in, in my last season at London Welsh, I think I scored something like 27 tries. So they um, created me to be as agile, as agile and free running as the backs. Um, the only thing that probably they hadn't created was the toughness and steel nature that a forward really needs. So I think when I left London Welsh, um, hence the nickname in, the, in the, the Swansea press when I first got here of Haircut Charvis, because even though ironically, I had a shaved head at the time. Um, because, you know, when I first got to Swansea, I wasn't, I wasn't rough enough and tough enough. Um, but I think it was like my second or third game at St. Helens. Um, I scored four tries against Newport. And it was just so the, the, what I was really grateful for those four years of no pressure and just develop as I saw fit rather than the current system and the system most of my mates went through, which was all about um, tackle counts, how many times you were first to rook, you know, and being very specific about the statistics. Well, I was just left to enjoy playing rugby. I suppose you were playing heads up rugby. Yeah. You know, you, know you, you play with a sense of freedom because of your age um, and you're thinking the team, but you're playing what's in front of you. And that's maybe where you developed your, your try scoring now, isn't it really? Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, I was, I was, I was a quick, I was pretty quick for a back rower and that helped. Um, but when you, when you, when you play for a team that only trained twice a week and came from all walks of life around London, um, yeah, it was it was a very free spirited. There was very little structure. Um, it was just about you know in, enjoying expressing yourself, and I think that's probably why French rugby and Welsh rugby have always been compatible and they've got on because of that that willingness to express themselves. But I, I think obviously, um, I know this is this is moving through the interview very quickly, but from the rugby we played in the early nineties with London Welsh, um, you could have looked at most French teams and just said look they're just a bunch of lads enjoying themselves nothing wrong with that but in your second season two, two things happened really you won supporters player of the season and you also got noticed by Wales and received a call up to Wales under 21 is that right yeah I think obviously you're appreciative of what the supporters um, uh, for nominating you and giving you that award um but I think what the supporters saw was, you know, I'd say I was like 20 years old, 20, 21 years old. Um, I'm just a lad who's pretty athletic, enjoying his rugby. Um, don't get me wrong, there was, I had a few rude awakenings when suddenly, you know, you've got adults stamping on you. <laughs> it's quite, quite a big difference from my college rugby. Um, and, and the call up to Wales in the 21s, I think that was more about the Welsh management wanting me in their system. But... Um, I mean, only only played a little bit of rugby for the other 21s. Um, and a lot of the players my age, who were obviously based in Wales, as individuals were far better rugby players than I was. Um, I would say I was probably a better athlete at that point than I was a rugby player. 
Um, but I think for Wales, it was getting me into their system, identifying me. And then, you know, it was within another year that I, I ended up moving to Wales and starting my career with Swansea. They did. So that last season under Welsh then, so we'll come on to the characters in a second. Um, we won promotion from uh, Five South, had to win the last match versus Met Police. But I don't think you played that day because I think you were injured. But what were your memories of that successful, your final season at London Welsh for you? Yeah, it, it's, it's a really weird structure, that league, that it was home or away. So I think we lost the, we lost out on promotion by one game the year before. Um, and I think I'd, I'm sure I'd, something like I'd broken my, a bone in my foot, um, which meant I missed that last game against the Met Police. Um, and, and again, it was it was fantastic that, you know, we were playing away. I think it was places like Lydney and Havant and Camberley, just some, uh, Camborne, sorry, Camborne, Red Roof, just some really difficult places to go and play. Um, and, you know, it, to win the league and just see how happy everyone was. And, and effectively, I should have left London Welsh the year before. I should have, at 21, gone to Swansea and started then. But it, it just felt like a, it was a great time for me to leave then. Um, that the club were in a were in a good place. They'd won the league. They were going up, and and you know that the whole thing about the club deserves and should be in a better place. I felt that I'd had a, a bit of input with that team in two thousand in sorry, two thousand. That team of uh, you know finished in ninety five. That we'd been part of that big push, and it took two years really, having been runners up the year before, to get it. So I, I felt really happy leaving um, on a, on a on a real positive for the club. Well, you did that because you broke John Taylor's try scoring record for most tries for a forward in a season, which was 19 in your third season, not 20, 19. You might've got some more in the friendly or something like that, but it was, it was 19 okay. tries you got. But across your three years at the club, right, Colin, you played 82 times and scored 43 tries. That's not bad for a back row forward, is it? Yeah, I suppose you should. Um, maybe I should have taken a, a, a career on the wing. Who knows? <laughs> uh, but look, I think some of the players you played with, like um, you know uh, Mike Hamlin, Peter Walters, Craig Raymond, you know Barrel, you know, Barrel, like um, he coaches my son in the under 15s because his son is now in the under 15s, London Welsh, with Adrian Davis's son. So it's like those connections, you know, keep sort of coming back, keep people within the club. Do you do you keep in touch with this sort of cohort at London Welsh at all? Yeah, so um, Rodri and Geraint, the two Phillips brothers, um, Cocky, uh, Peacock, uh, who else? Probably Tucker uh, is the guy, he lives in Australia, so that's the oddest. He's probably the guy I've seen the most um, <laughs> since, I, since I left. Um, but, it, you know, I think it was always nice when, like, the Welsh team were in Australia or the Lions, or when I went to, to the Lions 2013 as a supporter, to go and meet with Tucker and his family. And, and it's weird to see the kids from, you know, they were just babies, weren't they? Now they're, you know, they're proper full adults. Um, but, um, the, you know, there's a good group of lads. And, and let's, be, let's be honest, the, the, the dreaded social media, as much as most people want to hate it at the moment, um, over the last 20 years for keeping in touch with your old teammates and for photos popping up, you know, um, and seeing the, the odd, you know, nicknames being kept in your mind, um, that's social media has played a huge role in that. Um, you know, you couple that with, I mean, we 
for the, for the years that we were there, there wasn't that much video, so there's not much on YouTube. Um, but there's a hell of a lot of photographs out there if you just dig them, dig through them, and you you know the players, and just suddenly, and again, I was quite fortunate, I suppose, because I played for Wales for so long. Every everywhere I went, I could bump into someone who would, and, and obviously with the stupid haircut, <laughs> who could easily recognise me, and, and you know whether it was a supporter from London Welsh or a player. I mean, I've got I've got friends here in Swansea who were supporters of London Welsh when they were in the Met Police, you know, and that's like 25 years ago. And now they're my friends here. It's, it's really weird. Oh, it's mad, isn't it? We put, I think London Welsh put a photo up, didn't they, of the 94-95 season up on, I think, on social media. And obviously it's, it's obvious that, you, you know, we spotted you straight away, but people were guessing who the players were. And it was just lovely to see the the sort of interaction people had with, with that post of just the, the team photo because there's a pictures of Ted win there and Morlice who were, and they're both still around the club those two yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean so it's a, it's just yeah. great to see see um the connections people have with London Welsh be it from a playing or supporter or whatever it is it's just great to hear these stories you're telling us Cole yeah I can I can remember like for the you know there's there was the couple of years when Wales played in Wembley and obviously when you know, playing for England when, sorry, playing for Wales when we played against England in Twickenham. And we'd go to Old Deer Park to train. And it was, I just felt so proud, you know, in Old Deer Park, they'd put on a little bit of a spread, you know, we'd shower up and the boys would have lunch there. And it, it was just because everyone was so used to, you know, my mates from Fletchley, Cardiff, Newport, Neat, Swansea, we all had that clubhouse that everybody knew really well, but it felt amazing every time that Wales were back in, in London and there was a welcome at London Welsh, it, for me, it was, it was it's just so special. Do you know what, I, I would love for the team to do that now because obviously that weekend is big for London Welsh because we have a, a like a charity match on a Saturday. We have a dinner on the Friday night in a marquee. So um, last year we had an evening with Shane Williams um, you know, 400 people in the marquee and the next day there's 2,000 people watching the game in the marquee because they haven't got tickets for Twickenham but they come down on buses from Wales to watch the game in the marquee and pay 20 quid yeah, to yeah. watch it at London Welsh it's like, but I, you know, I don't know how we get the team to come and train at Old Deer Park yeah. on the Thursday or Friday before the match but I, I do know Lee Halfpenny's been down to practice his kicking and stuff like that at London Welsh but we'd love to, I'd love to keep that connection going with Wales and I don't know how we do that but look we could talk about that for, for ages look you left London Welsh to go to Swansea how did that move come about and was that then you moving from amateur to professional rugby in the same season yeah the the well it, it changed to professional that year so I'd already made my decision to move um, and I had offers from uh, a few clubs here in Wales but bear in mind as I was moving, it was amateur. So the clubs had said, you know, we'll, we'll put you up in an apartment for the first few months. We'll help you get a job. Um, we, you know, we'll, we'll help you get a source of car. And so a lot of when I first moved was just about helping me. Um, and bear in mind, I'd made a lot of friends um, with Wales under 21s the year before. And we'd been on tour. And they were like, what stood out for me was I had, in one, one year, I had the London Welsh boys trying to tell me um, the style of rugby and the place where I could live that would suit me. Um, and that, you know, that was quite, quite a good source of information. But I also had made a few friends on the Wales Under-21s team uh, and, and Swansea seemed to provide quite a few players from that team. 
Um, and I knew Mike Ruddock as a former back rower had a huge reputation as a, as a very good coach. Um, so the, the idea of going to Swansea was uh, the style of rugby they play. Um, I've got some friends there already um, and, a, and a coach who's got a reputation for creating better players. And as a back rower, I thought, with Mike being a back rower, there's no better place for me uh, than to move to Swansea. Well, and you stayed there for seven years, playing over 168 games. And obviously, this is before the um, the region. So you had all the key battles were, you know, against Pontypool, Neath, Cardiff, Llanelli, all these, you know, games. And would you have played against London Welsh as well as a Swansea player? No, at Swansea, it was really weird as well, because when I was at London Welsh, we had so many fixtures against Welsh teams. Um, but the fi- there was no fixture against um, and Swansea. So that, that was a bit odd. Um, but, you know, you've got you to roll with it. Um, so, yeah, so, I, you know, I, I turned myself into um, a Swansea Jack, as they say. <laughs> you know, um, anything, anything, anything the other side of the Lucker Bridge suddenly became my enemy. Um, Neath was just a town that you tolerated. Um, you know, the, the great rivalry with, with Cardiff. So um, I really, I, I loved living in Swansea. I still live in Swansea. Um, and it really got under my skin. I think I don't think my accent has quite changed yet, but um, you know, it's, I still live here. It's an amazing place, and I drive past St Helens every day of the week on my way to work, and it's just my my skin prickles and that my hair stand on end every time I drive past the place. I was just so fortunate, and I mean, d- during that year, those years I was there, you know, we introduced professionalism. I played for Wales. I played for the Lions. We won the league. We won the cup. We had the rebel season against the English teams. You know, it was, we had people, the rugby league players came back and we, we got a couple of those at Moriarty and Gibbs in particular, uh, Stuart Evans. Uh, I played with a fantastic group of guys. Um, it was just, for, for an era of my life, I could not have asked for anything more. Well, look, yeah, it's, it's seven years. Also, Clive Griffiths, you know, keeping those London Welsh connections, he came to Swansea in the year uh, 99 or 2000, didn't he, to, to coach you? Yeah, so we had, we had at, the, um, at that point, we had um, John Plumtree um, as our coach. Uh, Griff joined in, that London Welsh connection. Uh, his rugby league history, you know, very stats, very organised, very uh, analytical. And I think this was this was me, you know, my, my career was just starting to go up. So to have a really good coaching setup and taking advantage of, uh, you know, Griff's experience from how professional rugby league had been beforehand, you know, influencers like Moriarty had joined in the back row. Um, we had uh, Gibbs, Scott Gibbs and Mark Taylor as a centre partnership. So for a back row player to flourish, you know, that 90, I'd say 90, 98, through to 2000, it was just an amazing couple of seasons with the club. That's right, because also you mentioned you, you made your Wales debut, uh, I think it was against Australia in, in 96. So, you know, massive, you know, as you say, you're playing well for Swansea, you get selected for Wales. What's that feel like, making a debut for Wales? And then when you make a debut, did you have to, you know, then make a speech or sing a song or something in front of everyone? What did, what did you have to do, Colin? I think back then the the debut was was like put your cap on and about half a dozen pints or maybe a bit more who knows <laughs> um so i just i tried to keep the london welsh tradition up and get those pints down me um 
but but it was it was just it was just phenomenal you know it was it was something that i thought would take a few years to materialize and then you know suddenly you're on the pitch playing for wales and this is just it was just incredible and you just you know the the nerves i, I cannot express how the nerves are flowing through you and every part of your being wants to just sink into the ground and and wonders how you can do it but then as soon as you actually step onto the pitch and a couple of the players look at you and well because I came on as a substitute suddenly I think I grew to about 10 foot tall um and I, and I never looked back you know and I, and I think it's the it's the camaraderie of the team and the look in the players eyes that they know you should be there and they want you there with them that really made for the my debut and then and then continuing to play that's what made it so special look we'll come on to um, certain aspects of uh, your welsh career but what i want to sort of pick up on really is the longevity of your career you know over 90 caps for wales played for lions 11 years of international rugby in the back row what is the secret to that sort of success from your perspective colin um i it's the secret um I think I think there were there were a couple of things that helped me. Um, one of them is um, luck, that um, you know knee injuries, shoulder injuries, you know, you know something something can take you out for a season, and then it can put you give you another year trying to get back into the team. Um, so you've got to you've got to have an element of luck that um, that prevents you from missing big chunks of your career. Um, I would say I, I was very fortunate that. Um, Athletically, I was suited to the position. You know, I was the right height, the right weight. Um, getting a bit fitter didn't wasn't too difficult. Getting a little bit stronger wasn't too difficult. Um, so I had to mainly concentrate on my skills. There was a lot of back rowers in Wales, much more skillful than me. Um, so that was probably where most of my energies went. So yeah, it was uh, you know a bit a bit of genetics really really helped there. So I I would say that um, the luck and the genetics they were the main thing. But but more importantly. Um, as rugby changed over those 10 years, you have to be able to change with it. So I would say if you looked at me in my first few games for Wales, um, I was probably a stone and a half lighter. So I physically, I could change with the game. And as the game became more contact orientated um, for the last few years of my career, um, I'm never going to say that I'm going to really enjoy running and putting my head into a ruck or, or making 20 tackles in a game. But as the physical nature of the game grew, I felt that I changed well and adapted to that. So, so yeah, it was a um, bit of luck, a bit of genetics and um, a lot of eagerness to, to adapt. Actually, I'd like to, yeah, I appreciate you saying that actually, because I'd like to um, add, um, do you think that's what's wrong with rugby these days, but it's, it's a lot more injuries. Uh, it's professionals and as men, people are fitter, stronger, heavier. And that's why we're having you know, more injuries because people, there's a lot more contact points in the game because you've you've lived through that change. You've said and had to develop to have a long long career that you have. But you know which Colin Charvis, um, which which one does Colin Charvis like the most? The first ten caps, the last ten caps when it comes to the style of rugby uh, you're playing, I suppose. I think the 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 easy easy answer. My my favourite part was was the bit pretty much in the middle. Um, <laughs> it was it was around that ninety nine. 99 period where we won 10 games in a row and we hosted the World Cup um, so I had a really good year there with, with Graham Henry and then when Steve Hansen took over which was 2003 
Um, we had a really good, you know, run in the World Cup, lost in the quarterfinal to England. So I'd say that um, maybe two of my favourite periods coincided with a change of voice and a new coach and a new group of guys keen to move things forward. Um, but to say, would I prefer the the old style Cavalier rugby compared to the disciplined, organised and heavier uh, new style of rugby? Um, you know, for me, I just really enjoy playing. So, you know, put my name on 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 the team sheet, whether you put it in a six jersey, seven jersey or eight jersey, I was just really, really pleased to be playing. Um, but what I, I would say, and again, I, I don't want to be um, too political about this, but I would advise players that um, one of the problems with injuries, again, this is with no medical training. Um, one of the problems <laughs> I've seen is, you know, if you've got a 14 and a half stone, six foot four guy, trying to turn him into an 18 stone guy, his joints and his tendons and his cartilage are all still, and his bones are all still the same size, even though you've packed a load of muscle on him. So I think that is one of the problems I would always look at. If any friends of mine or their kids were looking at developing into um, and wanted to be professional rugby players, I think you've got to try and look at a position that suits you genetically. The demands are so hard that yes, you know, we can't turn a five foot 11 guy into a six foot eight guy. I understand that. But if you look at some of the world's best props, you can see from a young age, they were designed to be that size. Yeah. Some of the world's best second rowers, uh, you know, back rowers, that they're designed to be that size. Trying to bulk up to fit a position, I can't see as a good idea. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I, I agree with you, actually. So to, talking about the key games you've had for Wales, look, let's talk about that game at Wembley, Wales versus England. Um, now, we weren't going for the Five Nations, but England were. What's it like being on a pitch of that? 80,000 people. It was a home game for Wales because they're rebuilding the Millennium Stadium. Scott Gibbs goes over in the last minute. We still have a kick to win the game, but we stop England winning the Five Nations. You know, t- take us through that, Colin. What's the celebrations like afterwards? You know, for you. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that was that was an amazing, amazing weekend, uh, and and winning that game, Gibbs has been immortalised for that, uh, <laughs> for that, for that, for that try. Um, but it was a great, great effort by the whole team because essentially England were all over us for pretty much seventy-eight minutes, um, and we just held on in there. You know, we just held on in there until we finally got that that foothold, the penalty. Jinx kicked it, um, you know, a good 70 metres down. I know the whole routine. I know the name of the call of the line out. You know, uh, I know who caught it, who it, who it went. It was supposed to go to me. It was supposed to go to me when he went, when uh, Howley come, when Quinnell comes running across the pitch. It was supposed to switch with me. I'd just been knocked out by Tim Rodber. I'm running in completely the wrong direction. Uh, but but anyway, it went into Gibbs's hands and we scored. Um but, you know, I, I think for me, for that, that game, because we weren't really playing for much other than pride and enjoyment. So I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And, and a lot of the time, maybe, and I, and I love the fact that I can be a supporter now and go and watch Grand Slam winning games. But for us at the time, there was a lot less pressure and expectation. So we could just go out, want to win and enjoy and express ourselves. And, you know, that, that, that win in Wembley, um, we had a 20-year anniversary dinner for it that, you know, this is not even a Grand Slam or a successful Lions tour. It's one game. But I think the doom and gloom that was surrounding Welsh rugby at the time 
that was that just sparked something new and a belief that was something different in the team. You know, we'd just been out to France. We'd won in France, which was the first time in 20-odd years. We won that game. Uh, we went out to Argentina. We had a back-to-back -back test victories over there. I think it just, that, that game in Wembley, the, achieving the unimaginable is what started off a bit of a revolution that people, you know, Graham Henry was the messiah. You know, the rugby league boys had been back and had been settled in. You know, the rebel season was coming to an end and we were settling back into domestic rugby. That it was just, just the tonic, as they say. And quite a few tonics that evening, I imagine, yeah? Yes, quite a few gin and tonics. Dav would be proud of me. <laughs> so, okay, so you played in three Rugby World Cups as well. So that was Rugby World Cup year, 1999. So you, so you went to tour Argentina. Then you've got home World Cup. So as you say, Wales on the back of a running winning streak, go into a, a World Cup. Your first game is against Argentina. No surprise, Colin Chavez scores a try, we win. The second match, we thrash Japan, and then we play Samoa. Yeah, I think the um, always try and focus on the positives there, Gat. So um, <laughs> the, we, we, it was it was hilarious because all my mates, all my mates around Swansea, they used to put money on me to score opening tries of games. Um, because as a back rower, you just got terrible odds. And I'd be like, lads, I'm going to score the first try. I'm, I'm telling you now, I'm going to do it. <laughs> so uh, it was it was just a running joke with with my mates about scoring tries. Um, but yeah, we you know we we. We op the opening two games went really well. Um, uh, the game against Samoa was was just obviously the hiccup. Um, I'd been banned. A few of the players were injured. Um, but, you know, I think we got as far as that, was it the quarterfinal um, against Australia that was, um, let's say, you know, one forward pass away from us winning that game. Um, but what is quite strange about that, um, so, so now being friends with those, some of those Australian players, I remember sitting down with Matt Burke and, you know, they were glad to win. They were glad to take the Webb Ellis Trophy back to Australia. But I've sat and chatted with Berkey and there was a genuine concern in that Australian team that they were going to lose the quarterfinal to Wales. That this plucky little team who suddenly had won 10 in a row, had one mishap against Western Samoa. But, you know, with our rugby league players, with a lot of our players that, you know, you could see there were six or seven of us that were getting ready to be Lions within a few years' time that that could have been and could easily have been Wales's year. And then obviously, Australia went on to win the, win the tournament. It's such a fine line though. International rugby is a fine line. It could be a refereeing decision, as you say, a forward pass. The difference between winning and losing is so narrow, aren't they? Yeah, I'm, I'm never going to take anything away from Australia because they were a very good team, Otherwise, you know, to go and win the trophy. They're a very, very good team. And you, you, we agree with, you know, the people that say you make your own luck um, and there's people that say, you know, it's just out there. You've got to grasp it um, and take it. But sometimes, and we've played in quite a few games where one drop pass, one forward pass, one referee, one injury, one change, one subtle change in tactics can win, lose a game. Um, but that is the great thing about the sport, isn't it? That's what makes the pantomime so exciting. You know, no, it's true. It just seems to happen to Wales a bit more than other teams, I think. Maybe, I don't know why, I, we, I, I sense that because I'm a Wales supporter. I was at that game, that quarterfinal in the World Cup in Cardiff. Cardiff was absolutely buzzing before that day. It was, it was for the game, sorry. It was unbelievable. And yes, you know, 
disappointing to lose, but it's, it's an amazing occasion for the country, a home World Cup quarter final against Australia. And obviously you're, you're, you're you know, in the middle there playing, so it must be unbelievable for yourself. Um, but look, you know, looking at the next World Cup, 2003, it's in Australia. You're, you're, you're a captain, is that right, Colin, in that World Cup? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're a captain, yeah. so we play... Yeah, so I... Go on. Yeah, so it was it was it was a it was a good World Cup for us because we we I think we just come off the back of a wooden spoon in the Six Nations, um, so nobody expected anything of us. And 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 as a group, we'd set our, our targets and and believed in where we could what we could achieve. Um, and I and I think that you know we had um, was it Tonga, Italy, and Canada were our opening games, um, which were all pushed aside fairly easily. Um, and then we had um, New Zealand. Um, so beat New Zealand and you get a better draw. Um, lose against New Zealand and um, you probably got England in the quarterfinals. Bear in mind, this is the England that have already been to New Zealand and beaten them over there. Yeah. You know, this is a very strong England team. But we, I mean, um, I'd say that that game against New Zealand, arguably, I know we lost, but the most exciting game of rugby I've ever been involved in. You know, I think it totaled about 60 points between the two teams. Um, and we held on in there, almost as exciting, with obviously without the victory, as the Wembley game. But, you know, people like Shane, Shane Williams had been on his deathbed for the last week. And he comes, he, can't, he just came out of the woodwork and people were like, did not know there was a Welsh player that could run like that. Jonathan Thomas, um, Coops, Gareth Cooper, um, Sweeney, Tails, Sonny Parker. Everyone just seemed to click on that day. Steve Jones had a brilliant game. You know, it was just an amazing game to be involved in. Obviously, I had to score. We all know that. Um, <laughs> Did but, your friends uh, have money well, on it, though? Thing, isn't it? When, that's the thing. When you're captain, you get to call the moves. So <laughs> you make sure there's one move that, in, that involves you scoring. Um, no, that was. but it was just, you know, we knew we were going on to a quarterfinal against England after we'd lost that game. But we were chatting to the Kiwis afterwards. And, you know, there was a real appreciation between both teams of that was a tough game, a tough, fast, open, exciting, entertaining entertaining game. You could have made that a cup final. Uh, in New Zealand at the time, everyone was tipping them. They were a great, great team. Um, we went on to the quarterfinal then um, in Brisbane at the Suncorp against England, Martin Johnson's and ultimately World Cup winning team. Um, and it was just a question of how, how are we going to stop this machine? How are we going to stop the England juggernaut? And um, it was pretty much just roll up your sleeves and give it to Shane. You know, that um, we got out there. We were, I think we were winning at half time. Yeah. Um, they changed, they changed, they changed the kicker, didn't they? Didn't um, a right foot, they brought on a, a left footed kicker or no, Cat. They brought Cat my cat on, on, yeah. 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 So Cat came on, which changed their game. And again, if this would have been, uh, you know, similar to the, the 99 Wembley game, um, I think we were, at first we were holding on and then we got a lot of belief. And people, so we started scoring more points and Jonesy kept the tally going with his boot and we started to really believe. Um, but I think once Cat came on and England got into their stride, you know, people like Jason Robinson, you know, he, we just couldn't stop them. You know, they were so big, so powerful. Um, I remember being in tears after that game genuinely thinking if we could have just got through that game we were going to the final and what what a year that would have been for us all to go from a wooden spoon team to a world cup finalist but you know it wasn't meant to be 
and you congratulate Martin Johnson and his team. You know, they, they won extra time. It took Johnny's, Johnny's boots to get them over the finish line there. Um, but for us, um, you know, there was no open tour, open bus, open top bus through Cardiff. You know, we didn't come back with a trophy, but we came back with such a lot of pride in what we'd achieved as a group, considering most people thought we'll go to the World Cup, the New Zealand game will be a cricket score and they'll be lucky to get to the quarterfinals. So, no, that was, that was a really good year, really good year. Yeah, if we put the Frighteners on New Zealand and we outscored uh, England three tries to one in the quarterfinal, but as you say, they had Mike Carter, Johnny Wilkerson, which just kept the, kept the field position going in the second half for them and they knocked over the penalties to, to win that game. So the next World Cup... So, Jack, sorry, for that, um, after that World Cup, do you think that fueled the belief for the Grand Slam in 2005? Yeah, I mean, Steve Hansen, um, I don't know whether he gets enough credit, but, you know, he, I'd say he turned he turned my career around and a lot of the other team, other players in the team, he really turned us from being good players to being, you know, fabulous internationals and good people. Um, he brought on a real different attitude from the players. Um, and then Mike Ruddock obviously led us to that, that Grand Slam in 2005. Um but I think it was the it was a culmination of, of like what is it five six years of Graham Henry Scott Johnson Andrew Hoare um, Steve Hansen and the, all those foreigners brilliantly all those <laughs> foreigners that had helped all those foreigners that had helped invest in belief skill talent however you want to put it um, that you know Mike Ruddock was just the, the guy fortunate that that you know the dice had already been rolled you know we all knew we were going in the right direction and he just managed on that 2005 grand slam to pull everything together and i'm, pr I'm pretty sure that, that that team was 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 arguably they believed before that first ever game um they were going to win i think it's a nice balance of experience and youth in there wasn't it, as well i think so i think you know henson to come into the team things like that and so we just seem to you know, prosper and you see about what you know. A lot of times, the Grand Slam is just about getting the, the best start you can get in the game. You know, in the in that sort of five fixtures, isn't it? You know, if you can win your first game, you're on your way. Then, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. You know, and that game. You know, out in France to come from behind and win. Imagine the confidence that puts in a team. You know, they think they can beat anyone at that point. No, that's great. So then we come to the 2007 World Cup, um, and obviously. Uh, we're on the wrong end of a, a game against Fiji, but probably one of the best ever World Cup games for a neutral to watch was that Wales-Fiji game. But not great, probably, from a Welsh player perspective. You know, take us through that day, Colin, and, and your, your feelings yeah, of being part I, of that game. I, I feel that there are certain games that we've lost um, that you're looking at each other in the changing rooms afterwards and just you can't understand how that's happened. Um, and I'd say, you know, when, when we lost out to Italy in 2003, you know, you're looking at each other's thinking, how did this happen? But um, I'm pretty sure that if they'd have added another 20 minutes extra time, we may have scored, but they would have scored as well. <laughs> you know, it was just one of those. It wasn't one of those days. We could be we could be playing now. We could be playing now, you know, 13, 14 years on and we'd still lose. You know, that on that day, it was destined to be Fiji's day. Yeah. Um, and the way they play, yeah. and obviously for their for their quarterfinal as well, you could see that this team had had a lot of belief, and it was their year. Um, and it's just unfortunate that we, you know, we we came on the uh, on a off a, a loss to them. But 
I think that it was frustrating and I think that we deserved and we wanted obviously to be quarter finalists and see how far our World Cup would go but uh, as a team if we look at each other and we're brutally honest about it and that's from the management right down coaching through to the players that um, losing against Fiji and walking away from that World Cup having not gone through to the quarterfinals we cannot say we were hard done by. Again, that was turned around the following season to win another Grand Slam for Wales. But look, you, your career finished before that because you played your last game for Wales against Africa. But over 99 caps, 22 tries for Wales, the most tries by a forward ever for Wales. I'm just hoping your mates won a lot of money on the back of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you just have to... Like, unfortunately, there was, there was... Again, you know, it's, it's, please don't... Tell me, I've broken any laws here, but you haven't. Um, and we all know we all know about betting in sport. But I remember, like, we'd play against like Romania or Japan, and I'd say to the lads, "Mate, get me down for a hat trick." And you and and I, there was a few hat tricks in there as well. Put me down, put me down for a pair, um, a brace. But <laughs> you know, the, I mean, I I take, I come I come away from my career. I take a lot of pride in the players that I played with, the people I met, the teams we played against, the competitions we entered, that, you know, I, I'm so, so proud of those of us that put on our red jerseys and, and just thoroughly enjoyed playing for our country, that it was just a great, great experience. And, you know, 11 years of my life that, you know, it'd be difficult to find another 11 years that could match that for pride and excitement. Um, it was incredible. And then, after that, to finish and become a pundit and a supporter, arguably through Wales's most successful period, um, you know, I, I went, I was, you know, working on TV when they're in the world, when Wales were in the World Cup in 2011, um, the 2015 World Cup, the last World Cup, Grand Slams, Championships, you know, the, I've been to that stadium more seeing Wales win than lose. It's just phenomenal. You know, having been just blessed to enjoy my career and then see after that 12 years of a successful Welsh team. Um, you know, I still, still am so pleased to get the opportunity to go and, well, obviously, whether we can go and see games this year, but it's just been a phenomenal 20-odd years for me. Well, it's been, it's been an unbelievable period under Warren Gatland and obviously it's all changed now with Pivac. But look, on top of, the, you know, on top of your Wales career, you had a, a Lions tour. Where does that fit into things with you? Because uh, you know, Sky Sports have been showing all the behind the scenes and the test matches uh, over the last three or four weeks. And uh, I saw a, a young Charvis in a 2001 tour to Australia. You know, what, where does that fit into your career to of you know, um, special moments? Yes, yeah, so you know, so, so I thoroughly enjoyed the Lions tour, you know. Um, that is the absolute dream come true, to be picked amongst the best of the best. Um, and I would say that um, anybody ever who gets an opportunity as, as a player, let alone as a supporter, it is a very, very special event um, to be involved in. And, and I, I just, it, it doesn't fall into insignificance compared to my, my Welsh career. But the Welsh career, for me, the longevity, the people I was around, the camaraderie, the friendships, the cementing myself um, as, as a resident of Swansea and of Wales, um, 
that that to me is is just absolutely amazing the lions career the lions um tour um i don't anecdotally just put it on my cv as an achievement because um it was incredible an incredible experience um but you've just got to also understand then how lucky you are to be a lion you know that you don't like i missed out on a couple of tours um well judging depending on, on selection but um there was a couple of years when i was injured um and you know you just think just just mark it up as a very very special time think about the australians you know we only go and visit them once every 12 years so you could have some australian player play 100 games over 10 years and not play against the lions so i would say that when you look at the privilege of pulling on that red jersey for the lions it was just phenomenal and incredible um and it's horrible to have to say it, but pulling on my red jersey for Wales just meant that much more. Um, and obviously I did it quite a few times more. So that you know, your Wales career is 11 years. That Lions tour is six or seven weeks, I suppose, isn't it? And you, you see how um, you have to be a bit lucky because one is, is form, but also the amount of players who get injured actually in the first two or three weeks of that tour and don't end up playing, you know, they might play once, they don't get a test jersey. What's the pressure like uh, for you, having been picked to tour as a lion, then to try and win that Test jersey? Yeah, I mean the, the pressure is phenomenal, um, and it, you—it's strange because you're in an environment where you can't um, turn to your nearest and dearest and just say, "I need a bit of support here. Can someone sit and have a cup of tea with me and a chat?" You know, you're, you're away, you're isolated. It was very, very difficult. There was no smartphones when I went on tour. Um, um, that it's you kind of you're listening to the coaches you're doing the best you can you're trying to keep your head down yet trying to be noticed it's just it, it, a whirlwind and obviously the pressure of the tour to go through every game because you're playing Saturday Wednesday Saturday Wednesday there's no time to stop and smell the roses so to speak you've just got to plow through it um, so if you're not in the test lineup or the weekend games you can feel very frustrated and I flirted between the two. Um, but what I would say is that in hindsight, I should have maybe taken a week or two post Lions just to sit and relax and, and, and de-stress myself um, because it's a very, very intense time. Um, what I love, I love, I love all the uh, behind the scenes things. And, you know, when here's Sir Ian telling the squad, you know, you've all been to a dark place and then you'll have this look, you give each other in years to come. You know, you were a lion together. Do, 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 do you see people from the Lions tour and you reminisce? Do you, do you get time to, to, for, to dead Lions dinners or any Lions events? Is, is that something that happens at all? I think I, I see it a bit more than that, actually. Um, you know, there, there were a few players from the Lions that um, you didn't really cross their paths again. And yet there were most of the players you end up playing against each other. You've just spent four years playing against each other. Yeah. And now we're going to spend another four or five years playing against each other. So it, it became, um, there were little friendships that just emerged from it, which were more, you know, we'd be playing up um, over in Twickenham or what was um, back then Lansdowne Park. And just during the warm-ups, that nod and look at one another and that just a little bit more of an understanding of different players you know, and a bit more respect for one another. And it was weird then. So, you know, you'd be in Murrayfield and two or three of their players would be giving you a nod and you could just see from 
their other players being angry. Over, <laughs> I'm still, I'm still going to get you, Travis. Don't think you're my friend. <laughs> okay. No, I, um, I love the Lions, and fingers crossed uh, it happens this year or next year in, in some guys who we'll, we'll find out in the next two or three three weeks what's going to happen to the Lions tour but uh, it, I think it's really really important for rugby in the Northern Hemisphere that we have a, a, a successful light you know a successful Lions who, who go and tour and and uh, you know because the supporters save up for years to go to these things and do you get do you get a chance to mix with the supporters when you're on Lions tour or even the opposition like the Australians do you have a chance to have a, a beer with them at functions and things? Uh, so mixing with the opposition is is pretty much minimal until the final test, really. And kind of mixing with the with the supporters, you know, there's people around the hotel, there's people at the training paddock, you know, so you do get to mix with them. Um, but I, I've got to admit that when I went on the 2013 Lions as a supporter um, to Australia, and I did a bit of work over there, that going on holiday with 30,000 rugby fans is the most amazing holiday you can ever imagine. <laughs> but you're very recognisable, Colin, so I'm sure people are buying you drinks at left, right and centre, yeah? I think there's 30,000 people in red jerseys. Anybody will have, stop and have a chat with you any time of day. It was incredible. It was incredible. Uh, oh, I love it. I, I, I'm, I'm, must admit, I'm, I'm looking to... Uh, I've got family in Australia, so I'd love to go to 2025 uh, with some of my family to, uh, to to go on that tour. But uh, as I say, lots of people save lots of money to go on those tours and to enjoy them. But let's go back to your club rugby career, because after Swansea, um, the region rugby started, you went off with an Ospreys con uh, contract. So you went off to France for a season. Was it to Tarbes? Is that how you pronounce it? Tarbes? Yeah, yeah. So, so, so I, had, I, had a, I had a lovely... Um, well, it wasn't quite a full season over in France. Um you know the the obvious like trying to pick up a new language and, and and the different customs over there was was quite challenging. Um, but it was it was great fun. It was great fun, and I think that that then so the camaraderie we had with like the Scottish players, the Irish players that were lions or just people you've known over the years. Suddenly, I had another bridging point now with the French players. So it was quite good from that experience in Tarb. Although we played second division, so I didn't play against any of the first division players from the national team. I suddenly had a, a bridging point with them. So um, after that first international, uh, we played in in um, in Cardiff uh, and Wales won as well. Um, to be able to give the after dinner speech in in English and then in French, um, and the French players were all you know slapping me on the back, and it was just great now to suddenly have a have a bridging point to make some new friends. And did you like did you like the did you uh, like the environment there? Did you like throw yourself into the French life and yeah? You know, yeah. Uh, and what was training like there? Was it a bit bit more relaxed than you than you'd experience in Wales? Yeah, yeah. Training was pretty much um, relaxed. You know, turn up when you're ready, that kind of thing. Um, you know, the the customs of a handshake every day. Every day you had to shake hands and meet every player. Um, kind of got a bit um, draining when I was trying to do my weight session. Um, but uh, no, um, I think I put on something like four kilogram in the first four weeks when I was there, um, which Andrew Hoare, uh, who was the Welsh um, fitness guy, got rid of me, got that off within about two weeks when I came back in December. Um, but no, it was, it was great. It was fan a fantastic experience. And fortunately, um, you know, I lived close enough to an airport to be able to com commute back to Wales and carry on with my Welsh career. So no, it went, it went really well. And, you know, it's, um, I can understand why players want to go over um, for the experience. Um, it is it is a phenomenal thing 
to do. So you play there for a season, then you come to come play for Newcastle in the Premiership, and Newcastle had you know lots of you know amazing players. You captained them. There's a London Welsh collection there because you've got Ed, Ed Williamson went on to play for London Welsh, Epi Tapioni, Tom May. So um, did you enjoy playing the Premiership? Because they see that that's very different to regional rugby. It's like it's like um, it's relent. People say the Premiership is relentless. Did you did you feel that uh, in the two years? Did you, yeah, the, pre- the premiership was pretty intense. Um, and obviously, um, you're commuting back then to play for Wales as well. Um, so I can understand how for the English players, it becomes, you know, the geography of things are very difficult compared to the Welsh players. Um, and, but the intensity, you've just got to roll with it. And um, once you're on, it's kind of like being on the treadmill. That you set, it's set it to fast, get on the treadmill. Um um, once you, once it's fast, you get you you set you set the treadmill to fast. You've got to get on and and just hold on and just keep going. You know, I mean, there, there was one game. I think we we played an international against Japan on the Friday. I played the whole game, and then on the Sunday, I I was on the bench for Newcastle and come on in the second half. No, I know that kind of thing doesn't really happen now, um, but it's the the league and what was the cup and the European Cup and the Six Nations, and the Autumn Internationals, and maybe a summer tour, you know, it is it's it is tough. It is tough on those players. Um, and you can understand why England, their teams are, you know, their squads are bigger. Um, it's a lot of pressure on them. Um, the, you know, for that to translate to the success they've held in the, in Europe over the last few years is, is pretty obvious. But, you know, I think if you're one of those players that wants to put yourself in a, in a tough environment, just the same with soccer, you know, players that come to England to play in the Premiership, you know, it's, you know, the rewards are high, the pressures are too. Yeah, you say, but obviously you were seeing this weekend, um, you know, Dan Bigger playing for Northampton, you know, all the Welsh players arrested, you know, playing in Wales and all the people who are playing in the Premiership are, are, are playing playing rugby and that'll happen in the fallow weeks in the Six Nations, you know, Bigger, Tom Francis, we back at Exeter, Lucy Sam, it would be a Gloucester. You know, they, they won't get rested. They, they've been paid by these clubs to play, aren't they? But you have two seasons and you play with, you know, you, you said you mentioned Matt Burke earlier. You played with Matt Burke, Johnny Wilkinson. So there's a lot, lot of great players in that Newcastle, Newcastle squad, weren't they, Colin? Yeah, I mean, Mayor Hoffler, Nooney, um, you mentioned Tom May, um, Epi Tione, which is the character more than the player, probably. Um, but you know, I had a great. We had a great. Um, I had a great time up there for those two years, um, and it was just you know different, a different, different scene for me. Um, I enjoyed going back to play for Wales in between games, um, but I think what I, what I enjoyed about Newcastle in particular was that little underdog status. You know that um, when they were travelling down to, um, I think we we drew in Leicester one year, but travelling down and you, you can read any newspaper and we've been written off. You know, there's there's some the bigger clubs in England. Um, it was all I always enjoyed being um, the underdog, and I think that's probably why playing for Wales was so special at times. That you get you get a chance to be an underdog, and you get a chance to pull off a great victory. And um, I mean, the fans of Newcastle, um, they were a great bunch, although they in numbers not as high as Gloucester or Leicester or Saracens, but in voice and passion, they were amazing. No, that's great. You know, they're doing well this season, which is great for, you know, Northern rugby. Look, you then moved to Newport. Was that a, a way to maybe transition into coaching as well? I know you played quite a bit for Newport. Was that looking to the sort of a view to a, a, become a player coach and, you know, with no, that, on, I, onto the I, coaching pathway? 
no, I, I came back to retire. So <laughs> I finished I finished at Newcastle. I came back to retire. And then Mike Owen got injured with the Dragons. And he had a, he was a three-month injury. So they asked me if I'd come back and play for three months. Um, so I ended up playing for a couple of years then. So and going to another World Cup. So um, <laughs> it's probably the, the best decision ever to, to come out of retirement. Um, but it, the, the, the Dragons, again, very similar to my experience at Newcastle. Um, somewhat of an underdog, you know, um, a, a region where the, the passion, the voice was loud, the numbers weren't as many, and obviously people would talk about the money of the other regions, but it was just a really good, fun place to be where people just want to see success, you know, and you're, you're playing, you're looking for success and there's a bit less pressure on you. Um, so I really enjoyed it, enjoyed it there. Um, I stayed on a little bit and coached a little while that I thought maybe coaching would be for me. Um, but I, I, I kind of, you know, you, you've got to realise with coaching that there's only a few jobs in Wales for coaches um, and how fickle it can be that, you know, you could be leaving your region and ended up coaching, you know, in Scotland. we got coaches in Russia at the moment. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not an easy, it's not an easy um, job to get into. Uh, and unlike um, when you, when you're a player, you know you can push yourself harder and harder and harder, and you can you can achieve things easier um, than as a coach. It's very fickle. Um, but you know the, the Dragons years were great fun. Uh, I re- made some new friends, um, got to know another part of Wales, which was really enjoyable. Uh, the people of Gwent, um, and then the boots finally did get hung up, and the whistle, the coaching whistle, hung up, and um, back to my flooring business in lovely Swansea. It's not bad. That was it. You, you know, from a three months playing for Dragons, you get 50 games for them, another World Cup, as you say. So, which, which is fantastic, you know, when you look back on that. Look, yes, post rugby life for Colin, you know, you've, you've done you're doing your broadcasting. Daddy. Doing your broadcasting. Now, we've got a young Chavis, young Chavis on here as well. So, we'll, we'll wrap this up. I would say, and I'll just get that one answer out to you if we've got time. He's, yeah. He's having a. No, I'll come down there. Sorry, thank you. Um, I think for a guy from the Midlands um, who obviously uh, ended up playing for Wales, I just, it's just the, brutally honest, the, the camaraderie, the friendships, the people I met at London Welsh, it, I couldn't say anything more than it made me want to go and play for Wales. Oh, look, that's brilliant. Look, uh, Colin, thanks for your time, right? Uh, please come back to London <laughs> Welsh, right? Bring your, bring your family to London Welsh. Like, so they can get a bit of Oldie Park magic. I, um, I've really appreciated your time today. But go and be, go and no be problem, a dad, yes. and all the best. Okay, thank you.